Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. And we start in the middle of the section, which is called the Last Supper. <clears throat> now I take it you have your pews, your Bible in your pews. Luke 22, verse 24. Just uh, think about the whole situation. They were at the Last Supper, and then verse 24, also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as one who serves? You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and may sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you in prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. And then verse 54. <clears throat> In the same chapter, then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled the fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. 
and he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. Man, I'm not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly, this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you are talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you shall disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. And so our text is found, and this is the only reverence in the four Gospels, in verse 61, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, the word the Lord had spoken to him. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I remember very often a few words in one of the prayers of one of my teachers. He was a Scottish Puritan, we believed, and he often prayed in his prayers, Dear Heavenly Father, Keep us from discouragement. Keep us from being spiritually depressed. Now, we as students really like those words because, you know, even in seminaries, things can be very hectic and busy. You study hard, your professors are doing a great work, they teach us and they write and they instruct and they associate, and so we really like those words, dear Heavenly Father, keep us from discouragement. And I know in my own life how I need to be encouraged. How wonderful it is if someone just puts a hand on your shoulder and says, uh, John, keep going. And I know how other people need to be encouraged. And your church is the same as all other churches, young and old the young, they need to be stimulated and encouraged and love, And also the older people, they need assurance. And when I think of assurance, then I think of the Bible, of course. 
And I grew up with the Psalms of David, the Psalms. I grew up in a psalm singing church. And so with some of the older people in this church, I know some of the older Dutch psalms by heart. And when some of the older people are discouraged, I say, let's sing. And so I often sing in my own life Psalm 73. And this is how it starts. Surely God is good to Israel and to those who are of a clean heart. But as for me, the psalmist says, my feet had almost slipped because I was envious at the world. I was envious as those who deny the Lord, but who yet, who yet seem to live in prosperity and who are doing well. And so I was envious. And then he goes through the whole psalm, and then finally he puts his case before the Lord, as we do when we are in trouble. And then the Lord shows him what the end will be of those who deny the Lord. And the Lord also shows him, and that is what we should emphasize, and that is so encouraging. It is good for me, he says, to be near unto God. <clears throat> A great leader in our Reformed tradition, Abraham Kuyper, he wrote uh, a booklet, uh, amidst all the other books that he wrote, to be near unto God. And when you read those lines in the psalm and in the book that he wrote, then your heart is really encouraged because it is so good to be near unto God. And God, of course, is near unto us. I understand that you had a very moving funeral a few days ago. And my wife particularly knows the minders mouse. And uh, I'm thinking of uh, Mrs. Spelt who went into uh, the Lord. And even though we at times cannot reach a person anymore, yet the Lord, I've noticed, with people who suffer from different illnesses, particularly dementia and so on, I've noticed that when I say, let us pray, particularly in the old language, that they will fold their hands and close their eyes, and there is contact, and that is how it is through the work of the Holy Spirit. He reaches deep, inside of our lives, in the very places where we think, well, the Lord has never been there. Yet there he comes, and he comforts, and he gives us consolations, and he gives us assurance, and he gives us his nearness. Now that is what happened, as you just noticed, in the scripture reading that uh, I read to you. Here they were at uh, 
the communion table. And you would, you would expect that the disciples would really suffer along and think along with the Lord. But they are very much like us. They at one point uh, begin to quarrel among themselves. And the one said to the other, just imagine, who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And they quickly thought about all the names around the table. And they probably said, well, it must be John who uh, is loved particularly by the Lord. Or maybe uh, James or somebody else. And so they quarreled among themselves. And then at one particular point, our Lord goes to Peter. And Peter, as you know, is a very complex personality. I read in the very beginning that he was the one who very openly confessed, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But here he is, and he is taken aside, it seems, from the others. And the Lord says to him, Peter, Satan has desired to shift you like the wheat. Now, you farmers particularly know what that means. If the wheat and the weed are being shifted, that is uh, a big job. That is a careful job. And so that is what he says to Simon Peter. But then at the same time, he comes with assurance, but I pray for you, Peter. And I don't know what went through Peter's mind, but uh, he was forewarned. Satan is going to do something with you, Peter. And if there is someone here who says, don't talk too much about Satan, and don't talk too much about the evil one. Well, then I just like to say to that person, uh, you better be very careful because the very place where you are sitting is where Satan is very busy. Very busy. He wants to discomfort us. He wants to discourage us. He wants to make us questioning things. It started in, in the Garden of Eden, as you know. And it started particularly with Job, who was true and righteous. And it started throughout New Testament times. And it starts throughout history. And it starts here. Satan. We know his wiles. And that's why the Bible says... Do not give him one foot. Beware. Beware. Be alert. Because he is the prince of darkness. So that is what he says to Peter. And then a little later, we are in the court session with that uh, very displeasing Anna and Caiaphas, 
and later on with Pontius Pilate and King Herod, but also Peter he had followed at a distance, and he was standing there in the courtyard, maybe uh, warming his hands, and we know what happened. Three times people come to him, and three times, even with an oath, when you read the other Gospels, even swearing that he does not know Jesus. And we say, perhaps, how in the world is it possible? How can it be? And then suddenly, as we are quiet for a moment, we think back when we were 60 years, 50 years, 12 years, a long time ago, when we were with uh, godless people, and they began to tease us, and they began to scold us, as happened to me as I grew up. I went to a Christian school, and there was a tremendous conflict always with the kids of the public school. I remember the one time that this one guy who was living in the street where I was living, he uh, had his big dog with him, and the dog bit me because he said, you are not a Christian. And he really went and and plagued me and scolded me and bullied me. And he told his dog to get me. And I still remember how tremendously pained and wounded and injured I was in my upper leg. Well, did I deny the Lord? Did I say to this fellow, I still know his name, ah, you're right, you're right, I should not be in the Christian school, you're right, I I should not go to church, you're right, uh, I'm not much of a Christian anyway. Peter denied him three times, and then we read, and that is the one and only thing in the Gospels, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Now that to me, congregation, is so deep and so comforting and so wonderful and so out of the ordinary. Here is the Savior in the midst of all his sufferings in the midst of pains, in the midst of praying to his Father, Father, forgive my disciples, Father. And he turned and he looked at Peter. Now one of my teachers, he was a tremendous reflector upon the Bible, and he came up with these insights. And to me, they... They are so deeply moving in the first place. So think about it. Christ turned and looked at Peter. In the first place, 
God does not forget his people even when they are like Peter. God does not forget his people even as 2 Timothy 2 verse 13 says, when they are faithless, he will remain faithful. He will remain faithful. And then the next thought, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. The Lord seeks his people, so that they may be found by him. The Lord seeks people, Peter. The Lord seeks his people. Grace spelled, hand spelled, the minus mass, all of us, the young people here, God is a seeking God. God is also a suffering God. He suffers along with us. We have not a high priest, the apostle says, who cannot sympathize with us. He sympathizes with us. He knows us in all our struggles, in all our weaknesses. He seeks Peter so that Peter may be found. And then, and that is also very important, I, I hope that you understand this, then we hear of Peter, he remembered the word of the Lord. He remembered what the Lord says, Satan desires to shift you like the wheat. He remembered it. And that too is crucial. My wife and I, in our own life situations, we are in contact with a lot of people of our own age and younger people, thank God, our grandchildren. And I know we want to be remembered. But what is more crucial is that we remember the word of the Lord, that we are daily busy with the word of the Lord, that we daily take time. I know, I know, if you're young, you are always busy, you're always involved, you're always going. But please, that you daily reflect upon the holy word of God, which is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And that as you go through life, as you talk to others, you remember the words of the Lord. And Peter remembered. And then you know what happened. When he remembered, he went outside and he wept bitterly, bitterly, bitterly. Bitterly, how could I ever have denied the Lord? And as our Lord wept over 
the daughters and the people of Jerusalem. And as our Lord wept in the Garden of Gethsemane, in some ways, Peter wept. And we know what it meant. He was forgiven. Three times our Lord came to him. Very personally. The Bible is very straightforward. You cannot get around it. Peter, do you love me? It's, it's an examination of love. And I often think about it myself. Jack, Jacob, that's your name. Do, do you really love me? No, no, don't be too, too, too hasty. Don't be too superficial. Bow your head and think about it. Do you authentically love me? Do you love me more than these? More than your father, more than your mother, more than your girlfriend, more than your wife, more than your husband? Do you really love me in the depths of your heart so that your whole heart belongs to me? Peter, do you love me? <clears throat> and thank God we know what happened to Peter. Peter, he went out among the people in Jerusalem and outside of Jerusalem, and he was the great leader of God's people, and he could speak with deep conviction because he experienced deeply, I'm a denier, but he has forgiven. I betrayed him, but he embraced him, embraced me. And so, what are we to do? Well, here in this church in Bethel, we are to embrace each other in the love and grace of the Lord. And we ought to cut out the superficialities. And we ought to really, honestly, openly, movingly, compassionately speak to one another. And first of all, in the household of faith, a father to his children and, and, and the children, if the father cannot say too much, to the father and the mother and the relatives and then the people in the church. I personally believe that the CR churches all over America, they need a new openness, a new directness, a new compassionateness, so that we hear from one another and not just assume, as, as we used to sing, Psalm 116, I love the Lord, the fount of life and grace. He hears my voice, my cries and supplications. And as I often, when I write to different people, because I feel I, I've actively pretty well come to a close of my work. 
This is a little poem called Greater Than Our Hearts. And this is what it says. And I sent it to different people in the past few days. You might not remember grace spelled, but he died for you. You might not believe it, but he cares. You might not consider yourself important, but he does. You might not accept it, but he has forgiven you. You might not sense him, but he is with you. You might not condemn yourself, but he has chosen to love you. He sees us differently. He is so much more, so much greater than our hearts. Now, isn't that the greatest? Often I, I say in total astonishment and also when I'm crying, Lord, you are greater than my heart. My heart. Our heart. He is greater. Infinitely greater. Infinite love. Unspeakable love. Incomparable or incomparable love. The Lord is great. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. And I give to them eternal life. And no one will perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hands. Because I and the Father are one. May the Lord bless you and keep you in all your ways. Amen.